Hello and welcome to the Weldon Green Podcast. Today we have another Ask Weldon show for you, episode 161. Before we jump into that, I want to remind you that you can ask questions for this show directly from the Anchor app. So you're listening to this either on Anchor or on a podcast player, but you can also come to anchor.fm slash Weldon Green, um, or you can find me Weldon Green in your Anchor app, and then you can call into this show uh, by essentially just clicking the call-in button and uh, or messaging me i guess an audio message and then i get it here and i can throw it into the show so this show is this ask weldon show is basically powered on your questions and i wanted to thank everybody who does call in and encourage those of you who do have a question about high performance about life about sports psychology to call on in hope you enjoy the show Good morning and welcome to the Ask Weldon Show, episode 161. Today we're going to finally talk about best of one versus best of three in the NA and EU LCS. We're going to talk about playing risky when losing versus trying to play consistently. And we're going to talk about hitting a wall in your training, as well as another bonus question in there, which I forget what it was, but I'll find out when we get to the question. Thanks for joining me today. This is the Ask Weldon Show. My name is Weldon. And I'm a sports psychology trainer who works in eSport. I've worked with a number of pro teams, won a lot of trophies. And in this show, people usually ask questions about eSport performance life, life performance, just high performance in general, and how to be a more disciplined and effective person. Um, I'm saying that because I'm referencing the Twitch chat that we just had before the show where we had some amazing questions about discipline and life and how to use motivation to activate yourself towards the things that you want to do. You can check out the pre and post uh, show shows, I guess, on Twitch, twitch.tv slash mindgameswelden, where I'm streaming this live right now. Uh, in the meanwhile, let's jump into the actual pre-recorded show. I don't have any um, updates from yesterday, I don't think. Let me run through stuff real quick. Yep, we had the NALCS and the ULCS playing. G2 won their second game. TSM won their first game. Sorry about spoilers. If you're just figuring out this now, we had a number of upsets over the weekend. I'm really excited to see the second day of the NALCS tomorrow and find out how it all ends up at the end of the weekend. Maybe some crazy good top teams go 0-2. That would be awesome and hilarious. Mm, I always like upsets like that. Otherwise, not much new to report. I found my TSM jacket. It's just comfy as it ever was. Still as soft as it ever was. I still I reviewed this on my Snapchat. I think uh, 2015, 2016. Yeah, 2016, August, July-ish. I was walking. I reviewed this jacket on my Snapchat. And I had like 17 people messaging me copies of their receipt showing that they purchased it. That was one of the best jacket reviews I ever did. And it's still a phenomenal jacket. I mean, I could review it again right now, but it's just, it's got a liner, you know, it's got amazingly constructed pockets. It's got all sorts of like awesome uh, little like nice design things. It's got a few flaws too, but uh, but I think that they just continue to step it up with their apparel. I love TSM merch. It's very well thought out. I think that's Lena's fault. I think that she is... Uh, really a uh, perfectionist about about the stuff that they put out in the world that's branded TSM like this freaking hat it's amazing all their hats are pretty cool actually yeah anyway let's get into the show shall we all right the first question is from anchor and it's from max let's hear what he has to say 
Hey well then, my name is Max and I'm currently Plat4. I've been getting up around 5am every day to increase the volume of my in-game training, but oftentimes it doesn't feel like I get much out of it. Uh, my question is, how can I stay focused on my pre-game goals and not get so absorbed into the game? Thanks. Okay, this is a question that I get a lot. And it's usually put pretty similarly, but the added little change that Max here has is that he's getting up at 5 a.m. to actually practice. So it could be that you, if you're fasted still, um, that you, so let's take away some of the physical things. If you have low blood glucose, you have low concentration, right? So if you're still fasted, you're going to have, and, and you're hungry, you're going to have a little bit of an issue. So I would recommend, first of all, hydrating yourself, drink a ton of water, and then maybe, maybe you need to do something like drink some branch chain amino acids or something that like says to your body, hey, we got food on the way, but we don't want to, we don't, you don't need to raise your blood sugar, right? So it depends on when you ate your last meal because like it should be technically, it should be stabilized. You should be fine at 5 a.m. still. Uh, like I don't have low concentration during this show because I practiced getting up at four every single day and I don't eat breakfast and I have great focus. Um, but definitely there are days, especially when I started, when I didn't, because I was used to getting up and having blood glucose and so my, uh, something like carbohydrate. So then my body really wanted that. And so it lowered my focus for me. Now it's, now it's better. So let's make sure all the, like the biological stuff is taken care of and that's not affecting it. Okay. Now, but then let's talk about the concept itself of how do you focus on your in-game goals when you're actually in game and you're getting absorbed in the game. So I like to equate this similarly to the situation with body awareness and physical sport. So like, let's say you're trying to improve your kick and you're playing a lot of soccer, European football, and you're running around and you're, and you're playing in a scrimmage. So you're not doing drills and you have to remember to like do the kick correctly the way that you've been thinking about it and practicing it every single time. Um, the, amount that you're able to do that is based on your body awareness, or that is this psychological concept, the definition of which is how well can you visualize and feel your body in your head at all times. And it's been shown that high, that elite athletes have higher levels of body awareness than subpar athletes. And this could be, it's not going to be causal necessarily in terms of the studies. We just know that it's correlational. So we, we don't know if it's because you're a high-level athlete that you do have better body awareness or because you had better body awareness, you became a high-level athlete, right? Personally, I think it's, this, it's the first one. Um, I think that through training, you develop that. So I would say let's work on raising your body awareness about the goals that you want to focus on. And for that, you need to be able to do a couple things. First of all, you need to be able to notice when you're absorbed in the task, I want you to notice when you're absorbed in the task. I want you to be able to pull yourself out of it. So they call this a centering exercise, and it would help to do a lot of centering exercises. Second thing I want you to do is I want you to have mindful sprints. So when you kick off a game, I want you to say like every single time, I want you to have triggers in the game, right? Every single time you go from lane to, or from pad to lane, every single time you recall, I want you to be very mindful of your body and how it's moving. So for that, I mean that if you're staring at the screen, and you put your hands where your mouse and keyboard are, and you're looking right at me, and you look out the peripheral of your eyes, so you don't move your eyeballs, but you look down kind of with your mind, you can see your hands on the mouse and keyboard. Now, I want you to pretend you're playing League. You can actually see what they're doing. Like the entire time you're playing a League of Legends game, the data of what your fingers and 
hands are doing is going into your eyes and into your brain and you're ignoring all of it. Okay. So you actually are seeing like every single mistake that you make. This is, this is irrelevant because you're not going to be fixing your mistakes by sight, right? But what I want you to be aware of is that you can see your body and, and that is part of your mindfulness, right? I want you to have vision mindfulness. When you're going from pad to lane, I want you to take the blinders off. So normally they're focused on just the computer screen and just your champion. And I want you to realize that you're a body steering an avatar. I want you to focus on your mouse clicks. But more importantly, I don't want you to th- be thinking of the clicking of the mouse. I want you to be seeing your hands and your arms and feeling your body awareness. Like I want you to feel your body steering the game. Okay. The whole time you're walking back to lane, be very intentional about those movements and see them and feel them and be in them. Okay. And then when you get to lane, you're allowed to lay off. You're allowed to like lays off, but you have to be super mindfully. We call it sport mindfulness training. Super sport mindful on the walk from the pad to the lane over and over again. Okay. So this will train a couple things. It'll train your body awareness, a connection between your movement and the avatar. It'll train your ability to back out of the game and get unabsorbed in the game and kind of like be aware of yourself as a person. And it will allow you to see things like the wall behind your computer, which you're seeing all the time when you're playing, but you never actually see, right? Think of a League of Legends game or a, or a CSGO game or whatever. What do you see? You're literally absorbed in the world. Even your brain is unfolding this two-dimensional world out into three dimensions. You're thinking, I know people around that corner and I know what's over there. You have this entire imaginary universe, but your eyes are actually seeing the things that are behind the monitor and your brain is just, it's bouncing off, man. All of it is gone. Like you're just ignoring all of it. Pretty powerful stuff. But if you want to be unabsorbed in the game, you need to be really good at centering yourself out of that kind of mystical universe of imagination. And you need to be able to see where you are sitting and what you're doing. And then you can get yourself on task. So that's the thing that you need to practice is that step. And you, if you if recalling and then being mindful from the recall back to the lane is not working, you need to set some triggers, like set a timer every five minutes. And whenever it goes off, you do it for the next 30 seconds. You back out of yourself and you like focus on steering the game from you from here and seeing everything and taking the blinders off like as if you were a horse walking down the street with those things on, you know, and you take them off for the next 30 seconds or so. And just kind of like repeat that centering process until you get the body awareness to back out into your goals. All right. Great question. Thank you so much for calling in. All right, next question is from Twitter. Hope these work. Good. I didn't check them before the show. I hit a wall trying to play a certain meta champ. The champ isn't very difficult, Alistair, but every time I hit a mental block and screw up his combos, should I power through and master him or should I give up and focus on other champions? Okay. Should I power through and master him or should I give up and focus on other champions? Um, I think that when you hit a mental block, you should volume through it. I, th- I don't like... Like, it's not going to come when you go away from it, okay? Uh, just going away and, and being like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break through that you know, later and you go back and you're like, oh, I can do it now. Not necessarily going to be the case unless you were training already a ton and you hit a skill plateau, not a wall a skill plateau. And then you need to let stuff settle for a while, right? And so if you're actually hitting what you're describing, which is a mental wall, and you degrade a little bit in skill, um, or you, yeah, then 
Your question is, should I power through and master him? I thought you hit a mental block, and that's what's causing you to choke. So even if you mastered him, you would be choking. So I think that there's a little confusion here. If you're hitting a mental block and you're screwing up his combos due to the choking, due to the pressure, then you're going to do that. Even if you master him, you might be choking. Um, and so you can you can work on your choking and essentially say like you want to relieve the pressure from yourself a little bit or you want to make it so that when you manually control Alistar, you don't mess up his combos. So your automatic combos are fine. Like you can do them automatically if you're not thinking about them. But then when you choke or you hit this mental block, you, you focus on trying to do the combo and you mess up because you're in manual control. And your manual control training is not as good as your automatic training. So what you need to do is train your manual control system, let's say, for lack of a better word, by trying to come up with like, like a checklist you can go through to kind of get yourself away from the manual and back to the automated control. So you say like, okay, whenever I'm going to headbutt somebody and I'm super under pressure or I'm nervous or I think I'm going to miss it, and I'm focused too hard on controlling myself, I should go through this checklist. Check the distance, click here, click there, click there. There's actually a way to combo no matter what if you do if you preload it i think you can preload it now you can click the w on them from a distance and then you can uh how does it work i know that you can do the flash combo now 100% because you can buffer one of the skills i was watching a pro do it uh in in practice mode so i would hop in practice mode and i would buffer the skills from fog and from walking from a distance from somebody and I would work on, I would work on your manual control of the combos as much as possible, until your panicked, mental blocked, choked manual control of the combo is as good as your automatic. And then you don't need to worry about this anymore. You'll hit a mental block and be like, "Oh shoot, I'm thinking about it now. Now I'm going to mess up." And you'll be like, "Oh wait, no, I trained how to think about it and never mess up." So that is my recommendation: power through it by overtraining it and mastering it instead of focus giving up and focusing on other champs you're welcome <sighs> okay let's get rid of that question let's jump into question number three another question from anchor so there's instructions here on the screen showing you how you should call into the show that's what this pop-up is all about ask a question it's what powers this show i need your contributions hi Weldon. my name is lars and uh I'm a Diamond League of Legends player and I want to know something about playstyle because I have a rather safe playstyle but when my team is losing I want to know if I should take more risks and maybe use it as an opportunity to push my limits or should I try to stay as consistent as possible and mount a good KDA and have decent damage but not taking any risk and just trying to come back like that. Thanks for your time and I hope it is a good question. All right, Lars, thank you for that question. So the answer is you should play consistently and you should take the opportunities that you need to to win the game. You should not play consistently into a loss. So there's a difference between stat padding and preparing for the moment, right? So you don't want to throw yourself into high-risk, high re low-reward situations. You don't even want to throw yourself into medium-risk, low-reward situations. You always want to be in low-risk, low-reward, low-risk, medium-reward, or low-risk, high-reward situations. But when you're losing a game, you no longer have the option to do low-risk, low-reward. It's not possible. 
almost everything you're going to be doing is medium risk, low reward. And so you need to identify the moments where you get higher reward and that's when you throw out the risk, okay? So minimize your risk, play consistently throughout all the points where it doesn't matter. You might have to give up objectives, for example, when there's no possible way for you to challenge it in a way where you could win the game off of it, you know, or, or eke back an advantage. Then when you recognize the moment, you must all in on it. You should not let yourself off the block or off of the um, off of the hook for playing consistently, quote unquote, and I say consistently in quotes here, and I'll come back to that, through a moment when it was your last opportunity or one of the opportunities that you needed to take to win the game and instead you played safe. That's actually not playing consistently. That's playing bad, right? Because you're not able to correctly identify the moment where you're going to get high reward and then do the necessary actions to win the game. And so when you get on stage, like you won't be able to win those games. And it's not about snowballing every game. It's about winning every game. So um, I would see it as a skill development task. What you're doing is you want to play consistently through the low reward moments and you want to be able to identify the high reward moments or medium reward moments. And then you want to be able to actually execute on them with that extra added pressure of saying like, if we mess this up, we're going to be even farther behind, but it is an opportunity that we have that we must take. And of course, the percentage chance of winning those is going to be less than if you were 50-50, right? You're behind in the game, so they're going to be 40-60, 30-70, but you have to realize that that 30-70 paying out at a high reward is better than the other 30-70 paying out at a low reward. Um, and so that is, the, that is why you take those risks versus the other risks that you could take. And just as a side note, one of the, one of the least risky things you can do while you're waiting for those high reward moments is objective trading, right? Is to be proactive. So don't think that consistency and playing safe means playing reactively. You have to actually play really proactively in order to stay ahead of the bell curve, ahead of the gold and experience curve of your opponents when they're ahead of you. So you have to play super proactively and be at the trade at the same time they're at their objective. So you have to predict like, okay, they're going to go here and do this now. We need to be already at the at this turret and like hitting it with the wave prepped, or else we're going to lose out on this trade and they're going to get more than we get in response. So basically, I want you to get much better at the kind of consistent trade plays until you get to that high reward play. And then that's when you enter into the conflict and take the high risk and try to clutch it out for the victory. All right, fantastic question. The last question is from my Discord. So question number two is from Twitter. This one is from Discord. But before we jump into it, this BO1 versus BO3 thing, I wanted to talk about my Mac program. This is the last question of the show. And before we lead, lead into that, I wanted to explain, this is the video online video training course that I made like now five years ago, five years ago, in order to address the issue of how is it that I train all the people that I can't actually meet one-on-one. -on -one. And this is now the third version of this this course. It started out as like seven videos that you would watch. They were each two and a half hours long and they lasted seven weeks. You'd watch one video a week and it would have a bunch of different tasks in it. Now we're up to this situation where I have seven weeks, seven videos each week. So 50 video course basically. And you go through it and, and day by day you get a lecture and then you get a mindfulness training or a seated meditation, essentially. A seated mindfulness training, which is essentially a meditation, in order to train and hone your mind. This is the same program that I go through with every team that I've worked with. 
and it is it is essentially for me the answer to how do I achieve high performance. The way that you achieve high performance is through mindful awareness. So this is the kind of body awareness thing that I was talking about in the very first question. We're talking about centering exercises. The whole first week is all centering exercises before we even get to the meditation. And it's about being able to not only see your body, but also the emotions that are driving your body. Um, So being aware of internal states, accepting those. So learning why they have the effect on us that they do and what effects are a given and natural and what effects we can essentially say, that's fine, I accept that, but I don't need to let it drive my behavior or my actions. And then committing ourselves to actions that we have decided beforehand, before we ever experience the emotions, that this is what we want to do. Now, why is this important? Because you cannot control emotions. This is this is the thesis. They happen to you, okay? You have to be really good at coping with emotions because you can try to hack your life and arrange your life around the the advent of large emotions and avoid strong emotional states, right? But what are you going to do on your worst day when you have everything piling up on you and it's all coming to a head and you don't have the skill set needed to deal with being under fire in, in the strongest possible sense of the word? And part of the reason is because we we if you if your approach to controlling emotions is avoiding them or avoiding situations that cause them eventually in life you're gonna have a kid or you're gonna have a bad day or you're going to be in a high stakes situation and you're gonna get the emotions that you've structured out of your life they're gonna come upon you and you're not gonna be able to handle them or control your behavior or let the internal states like ride the wave you're not gonna be able to be a surfer on top of one of those big waves in the ocean that could kill you if you messed up you know, those like 60 foot waves, they're not 60 foot, they're like, you know, 25 foot, but um, this is the program about like finding ways in our normal everyday life to practice these principles and make our life a high performance life, like every single day. So that when we come upon these bad days, when you come on these high stakes moments, when you come upon things that you actually want to accomplish, you're able to have the mastery over yourself to kind of like push push into them, lean into them, and achieve stuff. So yeah, make sure you check it out. Right now, I'm using everything that we are raising in terms of like sales of this Mac program to build the new version, version 4. It's going to be an app. And I've always operated on the principle that like you pay one price, you get it forever. Because I loved in the early iOS days when when you would buy an app, you know, for for like a dollar or something like that. And the, and the creator would keep updating it over and over again. That was really fun. So that's how I started this app off. Um, and, and so everybody who bought it, you know, five years ago still has access, even though it's on the third version. And for the next version, that's going to continue to be the case. If you get it now, you're going to get into the app automatically, just grandfathered in. Then it's going to change. When we launch the app in a few months, I think that apps nowadays are a lot more expensive to maintain and you need that's why everybody's going to the subscription model so i might look at the pricing a little bit but for now for right now at least it's a pay one price get it forever which is why this little thing right here i'm pointing on the screen for those of you listening on the podcast but basically it's 100 guarantee thing that cheesy looking sticker it's not about the results it's about satisfaction um right now i'm not using this money to live on so I can just give you a refund if you are unhappy with what you find inside the Mac program. That's why it's 100% satisfaction guarantee. You just say, oh, not for me. And you're back where you started with no risk. 
Here we get back to the risk situation with Lars. All right. Should we dive into this topic, you guys? The final question of the show. Make sure, by the way, that you call in your questions. Also, I need those questions for the show. Question number four from Serp on my Discord. You can find my Discord down below. Also, along with the code to the Mac program, I might point out, that will give you the $5 discount. So if you're curious about Mac, make sure to scroll down, click the link, and use the code there in the description to get $5 off. The code is AskWeldon. And the and the URL for those of you listening to this and not watching this, mindgames.gg slash M-A-C. Okay, the last question is, what are your thoughts about the LCS switching from best of threes to best of ones. I'm especially interested in the notion that there are teams that get more comfortable in their play as a series progresses. Is this confirmation bias from the fans of teams that have struggled in small sample size of game ones? Or does this phenomenon have a legitimate impact on the competitive integrity of the sport? Okay, the answer, definitive answer is no, it doesn't have an impact on the competitive integrity of the sport. If you're a good team, you got to be able to win a best of one. Nobody who's performing gives a crap whether it's a warming or a warming up team or whatever. Like that's just a fan theory. Like that's a, the casters tell the story because casters need to be able to tell the story, and the fans have these ideas because they want to believe in their teams. You know, so they're like, "Oh yeah, we need more games to warm up." No, just you sucked in game in the first game because you're bad. Uh, get better, then you would win the first game, um, right? You're seeing patterns out of like small, small sample sizes, and these patterns don't exist. They just signify that you're worse or better than the team that you were playing. That's what a loss or a win means, <laughs> just black and white. But it does have an impact on the possibility for Europe and North America at Worlds. First of all, um, it is much, much more difficult for rookies to get their footing in best of one situations because when you have a best of three situation, you can have a biofrost coming onto the scene, who is a quote-unquote rookie or Mike Young or whatever, and they can get bajillions of stage games really fast. They can enter into stage game after stage game. They can play six games a week on stage in high-stakes situations sometimes. And and you have these crucial games where the comeback-from-behind mechanic is really in, power, in play, right? Where you're like, oh, we're down in a series, one game. We have to win the next two. You can't get those mindsets in those training situations without best of threes. So best of threes are really good at preparing you for playoffs, and they're really good at bringing up rookies, and they're really good at giving you much more actual training. Now, why is this more important in eSport than in traditional sport? Because... We cannot do drills in eSport. It's impossible. Sorry, you can do drills in eSport, like CSGO. Um, Valve enables people to do drills. You cannot do drills in League of Legends because Riot Games, for some reason, will not release uh, a drill mechanic like map where you can actually train. I don't know why they haven't done this. I don't know why they won't like build their, their team and their technology around pro teams and like catering to them a little bit and giving them like a little bit of a leg, but... As it stands now, you have to train everything that you train through a scrimmage. Not only that, but there's no save state. So you have to play the scrimmage all the way out. Scrimmages are inherently difficult to learn from compared to stage games because the intensity is lower. It's the same thing as a stage game, but the intensity is lower. So you have to concentrate much harder and you're playing six of them a day. So the effect of learning effect on the brain is much lower. When you go on stage, all of your chemicals are spiked. The things that you learn on stage are lessons you will never forget, usually. 
And so they're, they're great for learning. And I bring you back to the example of C9 Gauntlet. When C9 was going through the Gauntlet, they started the Gauntlet. They played 18 competitive games, I think, by the end of that Gauntlet on stage, you know, because they had so many swing, like, reverse sweeps. And those were high-pressure learning moments. They entered the Gauntlet a far worse team than they exited. And they didn't train... They didn't scrimmage in the in the meantime, right? What did they do to practice? Well, they played on stage and they learned a lot from the beginning of the game to the end of the game in order to win it a lot of times. Because people think like, oh, you do all the training and then you get up to the stage and then you just perform. No, that's not true. You're always in a game like League of Legends, you get on stage and you're learning the whole game. You're trying to adapt and learn the comp and play into the enemy comp and trying to figure out how to win um, before the game ends. And so C9 had this incredible opportunity, essentially, to come in super honed, and every single game honed them even more, and they learned more and more and more as they because they had a well-oiled machine, right? Because they were operating, right? If you have a defective team, you can't learn through a situation like that, but that C9 team was glorious, and so they were able to pull it off. They were able to basically treat their on-stage games as scrimmages in terms of their communication and their their review after and whatever and the and the mindset within the game the high intensity and high stakes for forcing them to embed those lessons at a rate at a level at an intensity that you cannot get from scrimmages okay so stage games are great for learning best of threes are super good for calcifying what you've trained during the week when you go to best of ones it's more like a test it's more like okay here we trained all week and now we we're getting we're testing our theories Okay. And, oh, our theories were wrong. Well, we can't change and test new theories in the next game because it's not a best of three. And, like, we didn't really learn that much that from that game because our theories were wrong, and so we just simply got outdrafted and stomped. Uh, so you limit the kind of, like, the learning that can take place, which means you limit the, the rate of growth of the scene. That's what I'm afraid of. That's what I'm afraid of because of the competitive integrity across regions, because other regions are in best of threes, when NA and EU are in best of ones, that means that they're getting much more effective training time for their teams, which means it's pushing the scene ahead in terms of skill. And because of the fishbowl effect, where we're all kind of like in our own fishbowls here, those regions will have higher levels of of lower tier play, which will push up the medium tier play, which will push up the top tier play much higher than in our fishbowls where the worst teams who are bad at scrimmaging and have no stage games to force them to learn in high stakes environments will be worse off and those will that means they won't be able to push the middle tier teams which means they won't be able to push the top tier teams and this was already apparent the the depth of competitive strength in Europe and North America was has been apparent for ages and it's part of the reason that we're not able to produce such stellar, consistent teams as Korea. And and that is really apparent um, when you look at, when we just look at scrimmages. Like, we were not able to scrimmage teams that were, you know, below, uh, like in the lower tier of, of the of the LCS. It was just, it was just, in, in most of the teams that I've worked with, it was almost a waste of time because the skill gap was so great and the knowledge gap was so great that it was literally, uh, it was literally better to like play an academy team or a challenger team sometimes, like a high ranked challenger team, or to just like play solo queue uh, sometimes than it was to do those scrimmages. So 
this wasn't necessarily the, the, the same in Korea. I mean, when we went to IEM Katowice in 2017 in the spring and played the eighth ranked Korean team at the time, I think they had concepts that we did not even have at the top of the ULCS uh, that we were able to glean from that and then use to then, you know, do so well at MSI. And I think that the fact that those concepts were able to permeate down to the eighth ranked team is not an accident, right? They have a, comp- a depth of competition. So they have a depth of, of competitive players that pushes the skill of those top teams downwards much more effectively. And I'm not saying that if we had best of threes that we'd be able to do that because that's apparent that, you know, it's we're they're advancing, Korea's advancing at, a, at just as high a rate as we are. The problem is that when you when you say like, okay, well, at least we can keep up because we're all doing best of threes. Now we're even at a slower rate than Korea. And so we're going to fall even farther behind. And that's a shame because it'd be nice to see to see teams be able to, you know, take take something to the world stage and do something with it. But I think it's unlikely to occur unless Riot patches the game before Worlds in a very fun way. Which we can always count on them to do. So that's the beauty of League of Legends is that everything that I just described is completely accurate. And then also Riot changes the games every few weeks and resets everybody back to zero. So um, if a team in North America, if teams in North America and teams in Europe can work on their learning systems and their training systems independent of whatever's happening on stage then they'll get really good at training which is usually what happens and then riot will change the game and make it a new game before worlds and then everybody will be on an even playing field and it will be back to just who has the best training system who has the best scouting who has the best ability to to understand in scrimmages what's going to work on stage and i think personally we'll have a lot of hope in that regard because there's a lot of Korean teams that have been shown to be very conservative. You know, they don't adapt well until they figure out the meta from observing stage games. Whereas there'll be a lot of Western teams that are more willing to take risks and more willing to essentially say, this is the right way to play the game, um, you know, in the net and have really great surprising results. So with all the doom and gloom from the first part of the answer to that question, there is some hope that comes in the second part. And, um, and because everybody is actually so good, that the difference between them is while seeming to be grand in the large scheme of things like if you look at if you look at the teams right next to each other it looks like a great difference but when you look at the entire bell curve of skill the difference is like less than a percent in terms of their actual skill level probably if you count like the total number of league of legends players in the world right so these people are quite close to each other and um the 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 chance of upsets uh with random occurrences is, is really high it is after all a a game and game games always have an element of chance in them and league of legends much more so than games like soccer or uh, rugby so i'm hopeful i'm hopeful that it won't have the impact that i predict that it will have well actually it's already having the impact that i predict that it will have but i i'm hopeful that it does not have the impact on worlds that I predict it will have, and instead has the opposite one, which is it prepares North America and EU for the group stages uh, much, much more cleanly than it than the previous years have, and then that allows actually some um, group stage passing, and that would be super awesome. 
All right, guys, that's the show for today. Thanks for tuning in. I'm going to run over to the, the stream now. So this YouTube show is going to end. I'm going to go over to twitch.tv slash mindgamesweldon. That's where you can check out this talk show live before and after. And uh, I hope that you subscribe to this YouTube channel if you're watching because I put out shows like this every single day and we're going to be putting out more commentary content and, and more VOD reviews and things like that in the future. So if you're interested in League of Legends content, if you're interested in high performance content, if you're interested even in business and, and high performance in business, um, make sure that you follow this channel or you follow Twitch because those are questions that I've been considering a lot in the last few days and I'm actually going to start diving into and tackling maybe not on this channel maybe on a like a sister channel so i don't bother the people who are only interested in esport but we'll see about that thanks again for tuning in and i will catch you guys next time all right that's the show for you today thanks for tuning in guys and remember that if you are checking out the mac program mindgamesgg mac that you should use the code podcast it doesn't get you much more. It gets you one extra dollar off. But I do that to incentivize you to use the code podcast because then I know that you come essentially from this audio experience and not from the YouTube uh, channel because the same show, as you know, is uploaded to YouTube. And I kind of like to see where people are coming from when they hear when they hear about the Mac program so that I know how they got in. All right. Have a good rest of your day and I will see you tomorrow.